Father in heaven, we are so thankful for the Sabbath day. And more than that, Father, we're, th- we're thankful for the sacrifice of Jesus. That serpent on a pole pointed to that incredible sacrifice that we only have to look to and live. I pray, Lord, this morning, as we spend this time together in Your Word, that Your Holy Spirit would teach us and speak to us very clearly. Father, convict us and convert us anew that we may reflect the image of Jesus more fully, for this is our prayer in His name and for His sake. Amen. I'd like you to go to Revelation 14 with me, as I said. We've looked at a number of different things throughout this series. One of the, probably the most important, and we're going to build on this this morning, is the whole concept of the gospel, good news of the gospel, being predicated on the fact that Jesus Christ came into humanity and did in humanity what nobody else could do. He lived a perfectly righteous life, and He offers that righteousness to us when we receive Him. We had a message on this. We talked about the name that Jeremiah calls Him by, the Lord our righteousness, that in Jesus is all the righteousness you or I will ever need. But it's a sad reality that many the Bible says, are going to take the broad road and they're going to reject that free gift of righteousness. One of the things that we highlighted, and I just want to spend time highlighting this this morning, is that the the gospel, sometimes as we talk about the gospel, we talk about our personal salvation, and that's important, isn't it? I mean, that's, that's where it comes closest to home. But it's important for us also to understand that in the Scripture, my personal salvation is not the fullness of the Gospel. Your salvation is not the fullness of the Gospel. And oftentimes, even when I speak about salvation, we we think more in terms of forgiveness, but the Gospel plan is God's plan to restore humanity to His original design, to get rid of all sin and suffering in this universe. And, and to restore man into the image of God. Now, one of the things I hate about PowerPoint slides is when I put them together, um, a lot of times pastors like to edit on the fly. You know, when we preach, there's certain things we say, oh, I'm going to change that around. Well, now i got slides. I have some really good slides I was going to share with you, but I'm going to pass them up because I am not going to share those right now. I do want to share this, though. Desire of Ages, page 824, says, The very essence of the gospel is what? Restoration. I'm going to look at a few passages this morning and show you that this really was the hope of the early church, the restoring power of the gospel. It's something that we've lost sight of. In fact, again, beginning in Revelation chapter 14, verse 6, the first of the three angels' messages, the Bible says in Revelation 14, 6, Then I saw another angel flying, what? In the midst of the heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation and tribe and tongue and people, saying with a loud voice, Fear God and give glory to Him, for the hour of His judgment has come. Now, that judgment hour is a part of that gospel. We're going to talk about that in just a minute. But as you go through the three messages, when you come down to verse 12, and I want you to understand what we're looking at here. In verse 12, we are given a view of the result of the preaching of the gospel. In other words, when we read in verse 12, here is the patience of the saints, here are those who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus, what we're seeing are the people who've received the gospel and and this 
keeping of the commandments and the faith of Jesus is the result of the transforming power of the gospel in their lives. So these are those who have received that message. And what it's telling you and me today is that God will have it. Look, you've heard me say before, everybody keeps some of the commandments some of the time. Everybody does. That's not what this is talking about. This is talking about people who, through the grace of Christ, have come to the point where the character of Jesus is reflected in them perfectly. And the book of Revelation pictures them as a harvest of sorts, because a few verses later we see Jesus coming back, and he's going to harvest the harvest of the earth. And in that harvest you see the righteous and the wicked being harvested. Um, so you, you, you have a culmination of the gospel work here. Now let's go to a few places. In, uh, notice what, what the first angel says. He says, fear God and what? Give glory to him. How do we give God glory? I'm not going to all the passages today, but we've done this before. When we read about the glory of God in Scripture, what is it often referring to? The character of God. And in the, in the, uh, what's, the what's been the big question in the controversy, the great controversy? What was it that the devil cast question about? The character of God. What does the Bible say here when it says, fear God and give him glory? God's saying there's going to be people in the end of time who are going to vindicate the character of God by letting him live out that character in their lives. And so it's important to understand that term of glory because we're going to see that in a few different places. Let's go to Colossians in the New Testament. After 1 and 2 Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Colossians 1 and verse 27. Now we're in the middle of one of Paul's thoughts, but you'll get the point. Colossians 1 verse 27. In fact, many of you will be familiar with this verse. It says in Colossians 1 and verse 27, To them God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this what? Mystery among the Gentiles, which is? Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now, we're going to pick up on that word mystery again in a minute, too. But Christ in you, the hope of glory. What's hope about? What's hope about? When, you, when you, we use the word hope, what is hope? Well, I'm not specifically, you know, somebody says second coming, and yes, but what is, when we use the word, I'm, when I'm hoping for anything, what is it? I kind of gave it away. Hope is what we do when there's something that we want that we don't have. In fact, the Apostle Paul says in Romans 8, why does a man hope for that which he already has? Right? You hope for what you don't have, but what is promised, what is coming, what you're looking, it's what you're looking forward to. And here the Apostle Paul says that what he's looking forward to is Christ in you, the hope of glory. His hope, the Apostle's hope, was not just that his sins would be forgiven, although that's a glorious thing, his hope was in the fact that there was a promise that the character of Jesus would become his character. That he would begin to speak and to act as Jesus did. Now you're going to see that theme here. In fact, it wasn't just Paul's hope, but we're going to see this in another place. 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 16, this is also the Apostle Paul. We're going to look at the Apostle Paul in a few places here. 2 Corinthians, if you go back just a little bit, chapter 4 and verse 15. 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 15. 
Let's start in verse 16, actually. Now, the Bible says this, Therefore, we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is, what? Perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our what? Our what? Light affliction. Now, if you read the Apostle Paul's life, it was anything but light affliction. Anything we, What we would call light affliction is not what Paul was dealing with. I want you to understand something. There are people today who are looking for Christianity, and it's prevalent. You can find it anywhere. A Christianity where it's all smooth sailing and high times. You go to the church service, it's all rocking out. You're having a good time. Things are, you feel, it's feel-good stuff. What is Paul talking about? His experience that he's relating here is very is very, very different from the experience that many people look for today in Christianity. And he's not, he's not complaining about it. You, you look at all the different uh, trials that he went through, and what does he say? It's light affliction. Hey, this is light affliction. And it doesn't matter, because this light affliction is but for a moment. But this light affliction that we go through is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal what? Weight of glory. See, in Paul's mind, the whole goal here was that we would have the character to get there. Amen? I mean, that's what Christianity was about for him. Because he understood that you're not going to live in heaven, and neither am I, with the characters we have on this earth. Unless we receive the righteousness of Christ and his character becomes our character. And so he understood that the trials of life, the things we go through in this life, they do something for us, don't they? They're developing character that's going to work for us this weight of glory. He says in verse 18, while we do not look at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporary. Isn't that funny? So often, what's what's the thing that pulls us away from being faithful to God? The things that are seen, right? What's in the here and now? There's so much. In fact, people say, I'm losing my, my faith because I can't... God, I don't have enough evidence from God. I wish he would speak to me more loudly. I, I, I wish there'd be more... Ev- Look, there's all kinds of evidence. But the funny thing is that we, we're, what we're, happens is we're really being drawn away by the things that are seen. We treat the things that are seen like they are more enduring than eternity. But the Bible says they're passing away. The Apostle Paul says we don't look at the things which are seen but the things that are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are, which are not seen are eternal. So he's looking here for this weight of glory. Go to Romans 8 with me. This is one of my favorite passages in Romans 8. This is, this is we don't have time to draw everything out of Romans 8, but this is a fascinating passage. Now, you know Romans 7, right? How many are familiar with Romans 7? Nobody? Oh, there's two of you that are familiar with Romans 7. What is Romans 7 about? That's that conflict, right, with the, the old man, right? I, the things I want to do, I don't do. And the things I don't want to do, those things I do. Right? Now are you familiar with that? I'm going to tell you right now, there are far too many Christians who set up camp in Romans 7. They're sitting around the, they're sitting around the forgiveness campfire in Romans 7, roasting marshmallows. They don't want to go on to Romans 8. Romans 8 is where we go beyond that struggle and we begin to find the power of Christ, life in the Spirit. 
And it's in that as Paul begins to reveal some of those things that then he says in Romans chapter 8, notice verse 18. And I'm skipping so much good stuff. Romans 8 is such a powerful chapter. But in verse 18 he says, For I consider that the what? The hardships in the Christian life. But they shouldn't phase a single Christian. Number one, because Jesus said they'd be there. Number two, because we're looking ahead. I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with what? The glory which shall be revealed in us. Now notice what he goes on to say. For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. Now, we're going to see John's take on this in a minute, but this is fascinating. What he's saying is, that what he's talking about, this revealing of the sons of God, is when God's character is revealed in us. That God is working these things out in our life. This is what Jesus is doing for us even now. Through all of the circumstances of life, he's working his character into us, because that's what we're asking him to do. That's what, it's, that, that's what having his righteousness is about. And so the apostle says, look, the hardships here aren't even worthy to be compared with with the glory which will be revealed. And then he says, all of creation is waiting for this event when God's character is in his people. Because as we're going to see, that is the crowning act of the controversy before Jesus comes again in glory. And so, all creation is waiting for it. That's Well, let's read on. For the revealing of the sons of God, for the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly. Right? The creation around us didn't choose it, but because of him who subjected it in hope, because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. Now notice verse 22. For we know that the whole creation grains and labors with birth pangs until now. Not only that, but we also who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves grown within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the what? Redemption of the body. Now I know some of this gets wordy, but his whole point is that until... What do you, mean, what do you think he means when he talks about the redemption of the body? Let me ask you this. Do you think Paul knew he was saved? I think he knew he was saved. I think he was pretty clear in his writings about... So he's looking forward. Here's a man, he has salvation, he knows he has salvation, but he's looking forward to something. Right? And he calls it the redemption of the body. Well, what do you think that's talking about? Folks, what is yet to come in our experience with Christ? How do I ask this? What's our greatest hindrance in the Christian life? It starts with S, and it's four letters. Self. And these selfish natures, right? Oh, wouldn't it be great if when we accepted Christ, our selfish nature was gone? And there was never another temptation. But it's not so. The power of Christ comes into our lives, and we have to choose. And we have to resist and deny self, right? This is what the Bible says, because that selfish nature is in us. But when the body is redeemed, guess what? The selfish nature is gone. Can you think of, let me think about that with me for a minute. A time when you will never have another temptation. Right? I mean, you know those times when, oh, you might get angry at somebody, you don't even know why, and you're just like, oh, I wish I wouldn't do that. It won't, you won't have that anymore. 
The redemption of the body. See, the Apostle Paul is looking ahead to this time. He says all creation is looking to this time, the redemption of the body, for we were saved in this hope, he says. Think about that. I mean, he's putting a lot of uh, uh, emphasis on this. This is why we were saved. This is what the Apostle Paul says, I'm looking forward to. We were saved in this hope. This glory which will be revealed in us. But hope that is seen is not hope. Why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it. With what? And I love the word... King James Version messes this up because it says patience. And it's not, a, it's, it's not wrong, but, but the word... The word, the more correct word is perseverance. And the difference is this. When you hear the word patience, if I tell a child to be patient, what is that communicating to them? Sit and do nothing. Okay? What does perseverance mean? I like to say it this way. Patience is waiting. Perseverance is working while you're waiting. In other words, pressing, pressing, pressing on, persevering. Because we know we have this hope. Now go to 1 John chapter 3 and you'll see John's take on this same thing. I mean, this is what these men, these apostles were looking forward to. 1 John chapter 3, starting in verse 1. 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. The Bible says, Beloved, what manner, I'm sorry, behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called. The children of God. Now remember what he said in Romans. The sons of God. We're waiting for the revealing of the sons of God. Now he's using the same language here. Therefore the world does not know us because it did not know him. Beloved, now we are children of God and it has not what? Why do you use the word yet somewhere? What does yet imply? It's not here now. But what? But it's coming. It's not yet been revealed what we shall be what we will be. But we know that when He is revealed, we shall be like Him because we shall see Him as He is. John is just acknowledging the fact that when Jesus comes again, we're going to see Him with our own eyes. And the Bible says in the book of Hebrews that without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Now, how are we going to see the Lord with our own eyes and not be consumed? Because we're going to have to be like Him. And John is looking forward to this promise. This is what he's saying. The same thing that Paul's saying when he said, talks about the revealing of the sons of God. We're sons of God. And not, it's, it's not yet clear. We don't understand what it, lo- what it will look like in my life or your life to be just like Jesus. But we know that when he appears, we're going to be like him. We're going to have his character. And he goes on to say in verse 3, everyone who has this hope in him, what? Purifies himself even as he is pure. Now I'm going to tell you, sometimes, you know, I talk about this, this is the hope, the hope of the early church. But I'll be honest, when we start talking about being like him, this is where the saints start to get skittish sometimes. We could talk about overcoming, that's an uncomfortable word. Take it a step further and use the word character perfection, watch out. In fact, I don't know if any of you caught it. One of, one of the knights, Elder Bradshaw, was speaking, and he would ask a question, and, 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 and I forget specifically what he asked, but, but the answer, some people were giving answers. The answer would have been perfection, or we use different words, perfection, completeness, maturity, they all mean the same thing. 
But we just don't use the word perfection because it conjures up all this. And somebody from the audience yelled it out. He wouldn't even repeat it. He's like, ah, oh, you're going to get in trouble there, brother. So we don't, we don't even, we don't bring the word, Paul's not afraid to bring the word up. And look, there are pe- people read into, when we talk about character perfection, you get into all kinds of discussions as to what it means and what it doesn't mean. But I'm going to tell you, when we talk about being like Jesus, and this is not, like I said, it's not uncommon for people to say, man, hold on a minute. I mean, this makes me, oh, it just gets me discouraged, because I think this is what people say. And, and I, this has been, we've got generations of this. But I'm going to tell you why I think it is. And I don't think it's too hard to figure out. I think it's because we lose our focus. Right? Our children's story. I mean, I love that children's story. That story in the Bible where they they were bitten by that serpent. We've been bitten by that old serpent too, haven't we? And what were they to do? They were to look up to the serpent on a pole. And Jesus used that same illustration. A lot of people miss this. There are a lot of Christians who know John 3.16, but they don't know John 3.14 and 15. And that sets, that sets the tone. John 3.14 says, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so shall the Son of Man be lifted up. That whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. So he, he t- Jesus ties that together. The problem is that sometimes when we think about what God has called us to be, like John, we don't know what we shall be, but we're going to be like him. We get overwhelmed because we think it's up to us to make ourselves like him. That's not what he said. (laughs) We're to look unto Jesus. And so what that has done in much of the Christian world, and here are they, they keep the commandments of God. No, we can't keep the commandments of God. In other words, it's such a high standard to be like him, we just say, well, we don't have to be like that anymore. (laughs) That doesn't fix the problem. You can just say nobody needs to be holy and we're all going to get to heaven. And this is an interesting thing for me, and I've brought this up before. Because Christians, even Adventists, we'll discuss this. Well, can can we really be holy? Can we overcome sin and this, that, and the other? There's not a person in this room who believes we're going to sin in heaven. Right? I mean, I hope so. I hope you don't believe that. I don't hope so. We'll be sinning in heaven. We all agree we're not going to sin in heaven. Well, how are we going to stop? Well, God's going to work a miracle. Okay, great. Why, why, why can't he work a miracle now? I mean, this is the thing that I do. Because we get our eyes on ourselves. But we're to be looking unto Jesus. This idea, this hope that the apostles were looking in, this was foreshadowing what we call the cleansing of the sanctuary. And we've missed, a, we've missed the boat on this, brothers and sisters. When you come to Revelation, and we read it in there, and the Bible says the hour of his judgment has come. It's in the context of the gospel. The hour of his judgment has come. If you study that out, there's a, you're like, okay, how do we know when the hour of judgment... If there's an announcement that the hour of the judgment has come, it's here now... It implies that somewhere we were told when it would come, and we were. You go back to Daniel chapter 8, and you find the 2300 days. But for too many Seventh-day Adventists, the 2300 days is just a complicated timeline. And what we've missed is the 2300 days was trying to point forward. In fact, if you take the 70 weeks, 
How many of you know what I'm talking about when I talk about the 70 weeks of Daniel? And the 70 weeks talked about from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem unto Messiah the Prince. There's going to be seven. You remember that in the prophecy? In other words, the 70 weeks foretold the coming of Christ and his ministry. Well, the 2300 days is part of the same prophecy. It was pointing forward to the ministry of Christ. The intention of God in giving the judgment hour message was it would direct the minds of his people to the final work of Jesus in the sanctuary in heaven on our behalf. And so it wasn't just a complicated timeline. And it's interesting, for those of you Seventh-day Adventists who know a little of our history, you'll remember that after the, what we call the Great Disappointment, when the believers thought Jesus was coming to the earth and he didn't come to the earth, there was a man named Hiram Edson. One of the believers spent some time with some fellow believers in prayer that morning and he went out across the field pondering, not only pondering what had happened, but going to strengthen his brethren. The Lord arrested his attention. We, you know, whether God gave him a vision or an epiphany or a, a, an aha moment or whatever it was, we know that higher medicine, as he was going across that field, it came into his mind the prophecy of Daniel, the idea of the sanctuary, and it was commonly understood among Christians in those days that the sanctuary referred to the earth. And the problem our pioneers made is they never looked it up. We get into trouble when we don't study the Bible for ourselves, right? They just took it on, hey, you know, they took it on faith. But it wasn't faith in Christ, it was faith in what everybody else said. They realized the sanctuary wasn't the earth, but his mind, Edson's mind, was drawn to the heavenly sanctuary. And in the context, he thought, you know, the Bible speaks about a heavenly sanctuary. And as his mind went there, God directed his attention to Revelation 10. I want you to go look at Revelation 10 with me. As an answer to their disappointment, I'm telling you, if you haven't studied this, I apologize for not being able to break down Revelation 10 today. Uh, just, I'll just say this. For those who haven't studied it, study it out. Revelation 10, saints, Revelation 10 shows the great disappointment. God predicted it in Scripture. This isn't an Adventist conjured up thing. It's there in the Bible. God showed it, told it would happen, and it happened just like he said. Revelation 10 is the rise of the Advent movement. It's phenomenal. And the Bible says, is, as, as John is viewing these things in Revelation 10, I want to zero in on verse 7. As John saw the disappointment, he also heard these words in verse 7, Revelation 10, 7. But in the days of the sounding of the seventh angel, when he is about to sound, the what? The mystery of God would be finished as he declared to his servants, the prophets. You remember I told you we were going to come back to that word mystery? Remember that? Colossians chapter 1 said that the mystery was Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's what Paul called the mystery there. Go to Ephesians 6.19 and see what he calls the mystery. Ephesians 6.19 The Apostle says in Ephesians 6.19, And for me, that utterance may be given to me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of what? The gospel. Now this is what I want you to gather from this. In Revelation 10, where it's pointing out this disappointment with the Advent movement, and incidentally, 
at the end of Revelation 10, John's given the, the command to prophesy again. In other words, the message that was given has to be repeated. It hadn't finished its work. You, may, you must prophesy again about many peoples, nations, tongues, and kings. And again, I can't get into all the detail, but here's the point I want you to understand. If the mystery refers to the gospel, what do you think it means when the Bible says there's going to come a time when it's finished? I'm going to tell you, most Christians, and unfortunately a sad number of Seventh-day Adventists today, don't process this anymore. But what, is it, what does it mean for the gospel to be finished? Now, this, somebody's going to say, oh, well, that means the preaching of the gospel. No, that's not what it's talking about, the preaching of the gospel. It says the mystery of God, the gospel, Christ in you, will be finished. What does that mean? What can it mean? But one thing, that Christ's character will be reproduced and it will be finished. That, in other words, the work that Jesus began on Calvary's cross, ascended in the sanctuary into heaven to continue, is going to come to an end. That should excite us and or alarm us. Because that means it just isn't, we just aren't, hey, you know, I just don't feel it today. You know, I know I should get back with Jesus. I know I should get things right with God. But, you know, I mean, I'll get around to it. No, there's no getting around to it. Bible prophecy has told us that Jesus had entered into this work in the most holy place of the sanctuary in heaven. The anti-typical day of atonement. He is finishing the work of the gospel. People are having the opportunity to accept or reject, and then it's done. And the words of Jesus are spoken in Revelation. He who is, he is holy, let him be holy still. And he who is filthy, let him be filthy still. It's never safe to put off your decision to follow Christ. The finishing of the mystery of God. Christ in you, the hope of glory. I want to show you a statement by Elder A.T. Jones. He made this in uh, the book Consecrated Way to Christian Perfection. He says, The time of the coming of the Lord and the restitution of all things is indeed at the very doors. And when Jesus comes, it is to take his people unto himself. It is to present himself to himself, his glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing. I want you to notice that Jesus presents his people to himself. Okay, You're not going to get out the scrub brush and get it all done yourself. But you put your life in the hands of Jesus and he's going to present you to himself a glorious church. Not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that is holy and without blemish. Jones goes on. It is to see himself perfectly reflected in all his saints. And before he comes thus, his people must be in that condition. Before he comes, we must have been brought to that state of perfection in the complete image of Jesus. That's what it means when it says, here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. And this state of perfection, this developing in each believer the complete image of Jesus, so he describes what he means, this is the finishing of the mystery of God, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. This consummation is accomplished in the cleansing of the sanctuary, which is the finishing of the mystery of God. Now, I just want you to understand, he wasn't making stuff up there, and this wasn't new. The Adventists didn't hear him say, this is what Adventists had believed. This is what we've always believed. That there's going to come a time when the the finishing of the mystery of God will be, the mystery of God, the work of the gospel will be finished. 
And Christ will come to claim his people as his own, that glorious church without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. So we have this statement in the book, Great Controversy, page 425. It says, those who are living upon the earth when the intercession of Christ shall cease in the sanctuary above are to stand in the sight of a holy God without a mediator. Let me see how I can do this here. Jake, could I use you for a minute? And Mark, could I use you for a minute? Uh, they didn't know this was coming. I, I just did, you know, I don't know if you've got any of these discussions on what it means to be without a mediator, but I, it's not complicated, and I just want you to understand it. Okay, so you stay there, and you stay here, Jake. And uh, why don't you come up here, just so the folks in the back can see. Now, when we talk about Jesus in the, as our high priest, he's mediating, or he's interceding, right, in the work of what we call the atonement. Does anybody know what atonement means? Okay, you can break it down into three, but at one minute. It's taking estranged parties and bringing them together. Now, let's say that these guys are estranged here. They don't get along. They've had some rift. So I'm the mediator. What's my job? I need to get them back together. Take a couple, take a step. Both of, no, 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 not backwards, Mark. Okay, now we're doing, we're making progress here, but they're not still together. Now, at some point, reach out and shake hands. Okay, yeah, good job. Now, now, what's happened? The, they've been atoned. They're now at one. They've been brought back together. Do you get that? You guys can sit down. Thank you. Even though you were a little difficult on that one, Mark. Now, the idea of Jesus in the heavenly sanctuary is that his work there... Look, the Bible says when we sin, we ran away from God. We turned our backs on God. What is Jesus trying to do? Look, God's not running from us, is he? It's we're the ones that have to have our own way. We're stubborn, we're rebellious. That's what the scripture says. So here's Jesus, and he's wooing us back. He's trying to bring the two parties back together. How long is that going to go on? I shouldn't have asked it that way. Is that going to go on forever? No. There's going to come a point in time where Jesus will have gotten us to come back together, and then his mediation ceases. Now, some people got the idea that say, oh, we're going to live on the earth. You stand in the sight of God without a mediator, that there's going to come a point where now we're living on our own righteousness. No, that's not what it's saying. The point it's making is once we're united with Christ, we don't need the mediator anymore. But what happens to those who did not allow the mediator to mediate and bring them together when they still had time? They're lost, right? There's no more priest to do the mediation. Now is the time when Jesus is still mediating. Now is the time when he's working through those rebellious areas of our hearts. Even though we've come to Christ, you know, there are things we know we struggle with, and Jesus is still wooing us, trying to, give us to get us to give all over to the hands of the Father. He's mediating, he's bringing, he's atoning. But there's coming a time when that atonement will end. And it says, when Jesus' intercession ceases, those who are living on the earth have to stand in the sight of a holy God without a mediator. And those who are righteous will be righteous still, and those who are filthy will be filthy still. Their robes must be spotless. Their characters must be purified from sin by the blood of sprinkling. In other words, we, we must have cooperated and let Jesus do his work with us. Through the grace of God and their own diligent efforts, this is why we talked about effort the last in our last message together. That any effort that I give comes from who? It doesn't come from me. 
God gives me the strength and the talents and abilities. So that's not like God's going to save me and me. It's kind of we're together in this. No, he gives me all the strength, but I'm expected to use my choice in his behalf. They must be conquerors in the battle with evil while the investigative judgment is going forward in heaven. That's the word we use to talk about this mediation. While the sins of penitent believers are being removed from the sanctuary, that's now. There is to be a special work of purification, of putting away of sin among God's people on the earth. Right? In the typical Day of Atonement, it was said that they had to afflict their souls. Right? In other words, they were to examine and see if they were holding anything back from allowing that atonement, that mediation, to take place. It points forward to the reality that now we should be searching our hearts, make sure we're in harmony with God and His will, that we're giving ourselves completely to Christ. It says this work is more clearly presented in the messages of Revelation 14. That's what the three angels' messages are about. They're pointing us where. In fact, let me go there. Notice this statement now in the book Early Writings. Ellen White got a view of the time of the third angel's message being given. Notice how, notice how this is awesome. As the ministration of Jesus closed in the holy place, he passed into the holiest, or the most holy place, and stood before the ark containing the law of God. He sent another mighty angel with a what? Third message. So we're looking at the third angel's message that warns against the mark of the beast. A parchment was placed in the angel's hand, and as he descended to the earth in power and majesty, he proclaimed a fearful warning with the most terrible threatening ever born to man, right? The wrath of God without mercy. That's what we find in the third angel's message for those who worship the beast in his image. This message was designed to put the children of God upon their guard by showing them the hour of temptation and anguish that was before them. Said the angel, they will be brought into close combat with the beast and his image. Their only hope of eternal life is to remain steadfast. Although their lives are at stake, they must hold fast the truth. The third angel closes his message thus. Now notice carefully. Here is the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. As he repeated these words, he pointed where? Isn't that awesome? In other words, what's happening in the heavenly sanctuary? As the angel's talking about these times to come, he's basically saying you have one hope, and where's the hope? Who's in the heavenly sanctuary? Jesus is working for who? For you and me in our behalf. The angel's saying, look, you have a high priest right now who's interceding with the Father for you. The minds of all who embrace this message are directed to the most holy place where Jesus stands before the ark making his final intercession. Our eyes are to be looking to Jesus. Let me ask you, does Jesus make mistakes? Does Jesus mess up? Is Jesus missing some ability as our high priest? No, he ever lives to make intercession. He can save to the uttermost all who come to God through him, it says in the book of Hebrews, which is talking about his priestly work. In other words, we can have total confidence if we just keep our eyes fixed on Jesus and what he's doing in our behalf. But we've got to keep our eyes fixed on him. Great Controversy 488. The sanctuary in heaven is the very what? Center of Christ's work in behalf of men. This has become a contention, and I'm getting into Pastor Daniel a little bit because he's doing his series on the sanctuary here. But this is why the sanctuary has become so contentious. You think the devil doesn't know this? 
Why don't we talk a lot about the sanctuary? And when we do, why do we hear negative stuff about it? Because the devil knows it's the place where Jesus is. We got people saying, oh, I believe in Jesus, and let's just focus on Jesus, and let's talk about Jesus. How can you focus on Jesus when you're not, when you're oblivious to where he is? How can you focus on Jesus and not talk about where he is and what he's doing? Hey, let's focus on Jesus. Yeah, let's. He's up in the heavens. He's going, no, 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 let's not talk about that. What? It's the very center of Christ's work on behalf of men. It concerns every living soul upon the earth. The people of this earth need to know that they have a high priest right now in the sanctuary in heaven who is preparing them for the second coming of Christ, the greatest event this earth has ever seen. This is why, and Pastor Daniel shared this uh, recently, all need a knowledge for themselves of the position and work of their great high priest. Otherwise, it will be what? Impossible for them to exercise the faith which is essential at this time, or to occupy the position which God designs them to fill. We've got to have that focus on Jesus. We've got to know what he's doing in our behalf. I'm going to tell you the devil's going to press us, and if time permitted, I share with you, I really want to give you a, a reference. I've done this before, but in Spirit of Prophecy, Volume 1, it talks about the time of Jacob's trouble, when Jacob wrestled with the angel. And... Just the, just the discouragement Jacob was allowed to go through. Let me, um, let me just make it the point this way. We're coming to a time more and more where we're going to have to walk more by faith and less by sight. And when the Bible says sight, it's not just talking about sight. It's talking about feeling. It's talking about, in other words, we're going to face trials where the devil's going to whisper in our ear, He's going to point out sins that we've committed, and he knows we committed them because he tempted us to do it. And he's going to press on us with discouragement. And the only way we can rise above that is having that hope in Christ and knowing that no matter what kind of sinner I am, I have put my trust in Jesus. But if I can't hold on to that, I'm going to be overcome. This is what this statement is making the point of here. This is the time that we're facing. And so the apostles, Paul says in Hebrews chapter 12, Turn there and we'll we'll wrap up in Hebrews 12. What a powerful little passage in Hebrews 12 about Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Let me just ask you an honest question that I do not want a response to. A verbal. I want you to think about it. Have you ever felt insecure in your faith? Have you ever felt incomplete in your faith? Have you ever felt like the way things are now are not the way I know they need to be? There are things in my life that shouldn't be here. And I struggle and I try and I... Okay, I I don't want a verbal response, but I know I'm catching most of us in this room. Okay? The point is, when Jesus is called the author and the finisher of our faith, First of all, the implication is, once he's authored your faith, there's still something left to do. And there's the promise that he will finish it. Jesus doesn't leave jobs undone. And so it's precious, these words of of the Apostle Paul, that Jesus is not just the author, he's the finisher. You can sit here today and know that there are things in your life that you're still working through with Jesus, but he is going to finish the work. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, I'm jumping the gun. We did read it in the scripture reading. And Selah did a beautiful job on that, by the way. A model job. 
Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, and this is this whole his hall of faith in chapter 11. The apostle says, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. And let us run with endurance the race set before us, looking unto Jesus, the what? Author and finisher. Now let me make that point again. If Jesus has authored your faith, does that mean you're a Christian? I I can't see how you couldn't be a Christian if Jesus is the one who authored your faith. So wait a minute, if you're a, a Christian and Jesus has authored your faith, do you still have sin that easily ensnares you? Evidently so. Now, why am I saying that? Because sometimes, brothers and sisters, we allow ourselves to get discouraged when we fall into things, not realizing that Jesus is still on the case. The Apostle Paul says, look, Jesus has authored our faith, but there's still going to be things that not only ensnare us, they easily ensnare us. But he tells us, look unto Jesus the author and finisher. So, in other words, it's not just looking to Jesus, but looking to Him, believing all the while you're looking at Him, that He is finishing. Having that confidence that He who has begun a good work in you, as it says in Philippians 1.6, will complete it or perform it unto the day of Jesus Christ. I will emphasize again, our hope is not on how we feel, but on what Jesus has promised to do. And when you can lay hold of that hope, then whether you feel up here or down here, by faith you can always walk in the light. By faith you always have victory in Jesus. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross. What was the joy that was set before Jesus? Let me ask it again. Who was the joy that was set before Jesus? Who was the reason he endured the cross? My dear brother and sister, it was you. It was you. You think he's going to endure that and then get halfway through and say, you know what, I'm done with this. No, he's going to finish what he started. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And incidentally, that's talking about position. As he's not sitting down, we know he's working in the sanctuary. Stephen saw him standing at the right hand of God, but he's in a position of authority. And he started a work that he will finish. The mystery of God is going to be finished. Jesus' character will be finished in you. And he's going to come to claim you, to claim me as his own. And so the Bible tells us, gives us a view of that final harvest. Here are they. Here are they that keep the commandments of God. I can almost hear the excitement in God's voice. And you're going to be there. By God's grace, you're going to be there. And Jesus is going to point to you and say, here are they. God the Father is going to point to you and say, here are my people. Oh, I had another statement here I was going to share with you. And it's not there, so it's here. Let me just share it. This is, again, something that uh, Elder A.T. Jones preached in the um, 
Kansas camp meeting in 1889. He says, speaking of the faith of Jesus and, and, and the faithfulness of Jesus, he says, Christ was faithful. His faithfulness comes to us in answer to our faith and makes us faithful. It is only by His obedience that we are made righteous. Amen? Then when I have anything to do, let my faith reach out to Him and bring faithfulness from Him to enable me to do it. You always have a present help in Jesus. He will always provide what you need to be faithful. The faithfulness comes from Him. In answer to our faith, as it grows, more and more of His power and goodness will come to us. And just before probation closes, we shall be like Him indeed. And then, we shall be keeping the commandments of God in fact, because there will be so much of Him in us, that there will be none of ourselves there. I'm looking forward to that time. This, I'm sorry, he says, that is when we get to the place where we keep the commandments of God, and there is the beautiful promise, here are they, to keep the commandments of God and have the faith of Jesus. I'm going to finish up with this statement from the book, uh, Third Selected Messages. Ellen White says, the faith of Jesus, it is talked of, but not understood. What constitutes the faith of Jesus that belongs to the third angel's message? Jesus becoming our sin bearer that he might become our sin-pardoning Savior. He was treated as we deserve to be treated. He came to our world and took our sins, that we might take his righteousness. Hallelujah! And faith, don't miss this, and faith in the ability of myself, faith in the ability of Christ to save us amply and fully and entirely is the faith of Jesus. Brothers and sisters, do you have the faith of Jesus today? Can you trust in Jesus to save you amply and fully, entirely? And if not, can you say, Lord, I believe, help thou mine unbelief today? My friends, Jesus endured the cross and despised the shame so you could have eternity. And the only one, the only one that can hold that back from happening is you. What's your choice today? Jesus right now is interceding for you in heaven's sanctuary. Jesus right now is working in your behalf to produce his character in you. Jesus is working to give you everything you need, as the Apostle Peter says, to pertain to life and godliness. I don't know what everybody here brought with them today. and I don't mean your Bibles or your phones or what. I don't know what you have in your heart. I don't know what you have in your life. I don't know where your struggles are. But Jesus does. And Jesus longs to give you victory. Jesus longs to give you a new spiritual life. Jesus longs to free you from whatever is holding you down. If there are addictions, if there are doubts, whatever they are, you have a Savior who can save to the uttermost today. Today. And right now, Jesus is asking. He's pleading with us. Who will receive my righteousness? Who will ask me to finish my work in them? Who will cooperate with me in this great work of redemption? 
Is that your desire today, saints? To receive the atonement, that atonement, to be reunited with God, to have that character of Jesus, and to be ready for Him when He comes again. Is that your desire today? If it is, let me see your hands. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, Father, we thank You for the Holy Sabbath. I thank You for the hands that were raised today, Father. But there are those who didn't raise their hands today. Now why? Only You know. But Lord, I I plead for them in Jesus' behalf. Lord, why we wait and why we procrastinate sometimes has got to be a mystery even to You when we neglect so great a salvation. I pray today that Your Spirit would impress upon our hearts and minds that time will not continue indefinitely. That perhaps there are even some here today who are hearing the last appeal. And it doesn't mean we're going to go out and get killed in a car accident. It may just be that our hearts are just hardened that last time. Oh, Father, help us not to dabble with the offers of salvation. Help us to see with the eyes of faith Jesus working in our behalf in the sanctuary above. Help us to keep looking unto Jesus and run with endurance the race before us that we may one day receive that prize, that we would receive the redemption of the body and be able to rejoice in the glories of eternity and realize that the light affliction that we experience on this earth was not worthy to be compared with it. We ask and pray these things today, Father, in the name of Jesus and for His sake. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.